Good morning, church. This is the best Sunday of the entire year. Um, and my goal is to be as brief as possible and get out of the way uh, because today we get to hear from nine people in our church where God has changed their lives. It's Baptism Sunday, and there's going to be a lot of cheering and a lot of celebrating, and so we're glad that you have joined us. Um, I do have a couple of announcements before we hop into that. The first, if, if this is your first time, we want you to do two things today. Just take two minutes to fill out the welcome card uh, that you received when you came in. It's just a way for us to get to know you. And the second, we want you to stay for the all-church luncheon. Today is a big party. It's a celebration of God's life, God changing lives, and we want you to be a part of it from the beginning to the end. And so stay around, eat, drink, celebrate um, what God has done in the midst of our church. Two other announcements um, for our church going on right now. Today begins um, our 2018 Christmas offering. It opens today. It goes until December 31st. The best way for you to submit your pledge is online. The website's there in um, your program. If you want a pledge card, you can grab one from Randa at the info table. But the second announcement before I move into baptisms is that next week we have two Christmas services that we don't want you to miss. One on Sunday at the regular scheduled time, regular scheduled program at 10.30 here, and then on Christmas Eve, 4 p.m. right here. We'd love for you to be a part of that. I want to say a brief word about what baptisms are, and then you're going to hear from people about their own personal stories. But before I do, I just want to take a moment and pray. So will you please pray with me? Father, just as we sang, we do cry, holy, holy, holy today. That's who you are. You are perfect. And Jesus, you are king. And today we come to celebrate your work in our church. And God, I, I ask that your spirit would open our eyes to see what is true about what is happening, that the people that are going to share their stories have changed. They are new. They are new in you. And I ask that you would bless their testimonies with the power of your spirit, that not only would we hear about them being changed, but through their stories, we would be changed. May we be different because of today. Today is yours. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, I want to say a brief word about what baptism is so that you understand what these people are doing. But I also want to say it to the nine of you as a reminder of what's going to happen today. And the two things that, that the, the scriptures clearly say what happens in baptism is that there's a burial and a birth. A burial. Jesus died for your sins. He was crucified on Good Friday to be buried in a tomb that is now empty. And he did so to take on our sins, the sins of the world, the wounds and the pains and the shame and the guilt so that it could be fully and finally buried. And so when these nine individuals get pushed underneath the water, the water is a symbol of those things in their lives, their past, their sin, their, the identities that they have lived for, those being buried and forever washed off of them. That is done. Jesus said it is finished. So whatever wounds, whatever sins... Whatever identities have marked you, they are going to be buried today, fully and finally. 
And the second is birth. That as they come out of the water, we get to remember that the tomb is empty because of the resurrection. That Jesus died for our sins, and three days later he rose from the dead to say there is victory over sin, there is victory over Satan, there is victory over death, and therefore there is victory over anything that plagues us. And so now they have a new birth, a new identity as a son or a daughter of God, and that, more than anything in this world, more than careers, more than past, now defines them for the rest of their lives. So today we celebrate their burial, and their birth. And each time that I introduce them, I want you to give them a warm welcome so they're not nervous sharing their testimonies. But after they come out of that water, I want you to cheer like your team just won the Super Bowl. Because it's been a long time, Giants fans. It's been a long time. (laughs) But I want you to cheer for them because you are celebrating their new life, and you're going to be celebrating with them. And for those of you who came because you know these specific individuals, here's what we're going to ask you to do. As I introduce them, I'm going to ask that you stand and that you come and wait over here, uh, over by this curtain, because you're going to be the first to receive them. They are your friends and they are your family. And you get to embrace them as the new creation that they are and rejoice with them and hug them and celebrate with them first. And so how this is going to go is we're going to introduce them. They're going to share with you their story. This is what God has done in their lives. And then they're going to sit in this nice, warm baptism over here. They're going to declare their allegiance to Jesus. We will baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They will come out, and we will cheer. And then we're going to continue to do that. This is just as much worship as our singing today. So, like I said, this is the best Sunday. i got to get out of the way. So I want you to give a warm Welcome um, to a good friend of mine, Christina Klug. (laughs) Hi, um, I'm Christina. Um, I am pretty new here. I came this summer for the first time to one of the worship nights and was just blown away. on the rooftop, worshiping, and just kind of all of us calling out, Lord, I need you, Um, and just this, like, really humble, beautiful desire that this community has for the Lord. Um, But what I want to talk about today is the most intimate invitation that I received from the Lord to pay attention to him. It came in March of 2016, and it was a season where I decided to change my name to Charlotte, and up to that point, I had received a lot of people just saying, you know, you don't look like a Christina and really wrestled with that my entire life um, and felt really insecure. And so at 26 years old or 25 at the time, um, I just decided that that was like my new name, my new nicknames. um, And I was excited about it. Um, And what followed after just the first week of that happening was what I now understand as spiritual warfare. Um, I was on a trip and it was towards the last part of the trip. And I, one night just was like thrashing in bed and hearing these screams, um, that I would hope that no one would ever have to hear. And I just couldn't control any of it. Um, and I think at the time I just kind of thought that that was a panic attack and I was coming back to New York City and to work and that that was stressful and that that was normal. Um, But 
what kind of followed was that that was pretty symbolic of the season that was ahead. Um, a lot of tearful conversations and a lot of tension and just confusion of why at this point in my life I was wrestling so much with what and in whom my identity belonged to. Um, and I also learned that Charlotte means freedom. Um, so freedom was a word that has been a gift um, from the Lord. It has been really symbolic of what he has done to free me from these things that were really painful and really hard. And um, so there was a verse in First Peter that made me keep Christina and be really honored by it um, and was a gift one Sunday. Um, and it's beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Um, so that was just this really clear indication of like, it doesn't matter the affirmation from the world or this rejection that you feel because I'm going to be enough. Um, and then he went on to free me from a lot of shameful, a big shameful past of just sexual immorality. Um, and that seems like a really obvious place that you would avoid when you become a Christian and an easy thing to turn your back to, but it wasn't. And it was really dark and deceitful and lonely. And um, the Lord restored that and renewed that and has been able to redeem me to have a body that is a holy place for the Holy Spirit. Um, so that's been really special. And then... Um, last January, I got let go from my job, and up to then, that had been something where my identity totally was in, and all of my worth, and, um, I was good at it, and I really liked it, and, um, it was kind of everything, but it had become clear to me that the Lord was revealing that I had too much control and too much pride, and that I needed to get rid of that, and the only way that that was possible, um, was for me to get let go, and so, that remember that distinctly that day just having like a huge amount of peace and that's not to say that it wasn't a hard season that followed that required me to be kind of on my knees um of just like how when you when I feel like everything has been taken away from me um does this work like who am I and what is my worth um so anyways um all that to fast forward to a few weeks ago when Logan gave his yes and sermon um something that stu stood out to me was he said, are we going to allow our dignity to stand in the way of Christ's victory? And I realized that that was what I was doing and that there was a little bit more. And I wrote down in my journal, just, I do not feel like this like freedom journey is over. And so um, I, at community group that week, I just kind of asked to receive prayer that the Lord would free me from the lie that Satan gave me as a child that I was unlovable. Um, and part of the reason for that is I am a lot younger in my family. And so everyone my whole life was like, oh, well, you must have been an accident. And I didn't realize that that was a wound that had stuck with me since I was little. Um, I wanted freedom from all the time that I spent caring more what my physical body looked like instead of what my insides looked like. Um, and also from freedom from the burden of being really sad that I don't have a family yet, but that that's okay, um, and that he's enough. And so the next day, um, I was on the train, and well, sorry, I also want to mention in this night, it was amazing just in community groups. Um, 
the power of them, and you all need to be in one because the moment I said that, we stopped our whole circle, and they prayed for me, and Todd had this vision um, where he said that Christ had just come out of the tomb and was running as quickly as he possibly could, and he was like, I have got to find her, and I have to tell her I love her, and it was the backs of everyone's heads, and you could see no one until Amber said amen, and I'm the one that turned around, um, and that kind of blew me to the back wall, and I just didn't know what to say, so I was like, well, what was Jesus wearing? Um, because I, like, couldn't handle it, um, but yeah, so being one, um, but the next day, I was reading my Bible and on the, on the train, and there was a verse in Revelations, two of them, that I really loved and stuck, stood out. Um, For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And then also, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on that stone, so no one knows except the one who receives it. Um, and that was remarkable for me after a season of name having so much significance. Um, so I texted a friend that morning that I was weepy and fragile, but really expectant of the potential of the night. It was the worship night here um, at LMCC. So that night, I just, I mean, I love to worship, so I love all those moments, but it was remarkable. Um, the Lord, like, I had my eyes closed, and he invited me into this place that was just mountains and him. And he just kind of, like, held me and spun me around the way that you would a child. And it was that, like, sincere, pure, beautiful joy that is only from the Lord and only possible through him. Um, And so that was really amazing. And then he also, like, distinctly said to me, um, and it was, like, sort of a whisper but kind of an exclamation, um, just, I died for you, Christina, my beloved daughter. You were never an accident. You have purpose in this life that will bring thousands of people to know me. Um, And that was really beautiful and really significant. Um, And I just was so grateful that it's, it was coming out of a season of spiritual gifts and just wondering, like, what are mine and are they enough? And I have always felt really happy and been a person that has that. And he just kind of showed me that, like, the happiness that you have is a strength that is the strength for me and it is the clearest window into the soul of who you are as my daughter um so i say all this to encourage you um that healing can be really quick and the holy spirit is really powerful and it sounds really crazy to say that a prayer that i asked for 24 hours later freed me from a burden that i have been burdened by for 28 years um And so I just encourage you all to ask and receive what the Lord is going to give to you. Um, So it's with a really great honor that I get baptized today, um, that Jesus saved my life um, and reoriented the blind ways of my living um, to just love and serve him. So thanks. Just to put an exclamation point on what Christina said there at the end uh, about not knowing how quickly God's going to answer your prayer. Uh, Some of you walked in here this morning with burdens or you walked in here this morning wanting something. Well, you should start praying for it right now. Just where you're sitting, while you sit here, while you listen to these stories, just start asking God for the thing that you want or asking him to take away this burden bringing this wound to him. Just start praying. Pray the whole time you're sitting here. And you, who knows? He may answer it. I'm not 
guaranteeing it, but he may answer it before you walk out today. It could be 24 hours, it could be 24 minutes. For each of these people, we're going to have them uh, say this vow. It's going to sound kind of like a, a wedding almost, and it is kind of like a wedding. Vows are a big deal in the Bible, so, you know, we're doing this offering. We do it as a vow, a pledge. That's in writing. But then the other way to do a vow and make it real serious, obviously, is if you do it in front of a big group of people. And so that's what we're going to do with each of these folks today. So uh, we'll ask them each a series of questions. Christina, we'll put these up on the screen so you can follow along as well. Christina, do you renounce Satan and all his empty promises? Do you wish to put to death the sinful desires that draw you away from the love of God? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died was buried, rose again on the third day, ascended into heaven, and will come again. It's on the basis of this confession that we're going to baptize you now, our sister in Christ, buried with him in baptism, and raised to life. We also have this charge that we're all going to, this welcome that we're all going to say together after each baptism as a congregation. So if you can say this aloud with me, we receive you into the household of God, confess the faith of Christ crucified, proclaim his resurrection, and share with us in his eternal family. Amen. Next, please welcome Cole. Boy, I haven't turned around yet. This is awful. That is a lot of eyeballs. Um, All right, let's do it. I sat down to write my testimony in preparation for today, and what stood out was how little actually stands out. So this is going to be riveting. Um, There are some unbelievable stories in this church of how people found Christ. This big slap in the face or life-altering miracle that can't be argued with. That is so awesome. And I mean that in the most sincere sense of the word. But I'm here to let you know that you don't have to wait for that to happen. I grew up in a typical small West Texas town. I was loved dearly by my amazing parents and never really had to struggle. Sure, I was a little chubby in middle school and had an unreciprocated crush on a a girl, but middle school sucks for everybody. (laughs) Uh, Overall, I was on cruise control for most of my upbringing. Even my faith was something that was comfortable. In our town, that was just commonplace. I will say, however, that there was a religious awakening in a buck household around my fifth grade year. To this day, it remains a defining moment in my life. Not so much because it really changed me, but because I got to witness God's radical power of change in my dad. Only recently have I really started to wrap my head around what was happening to him. Back then, it was, oh, we attend church on Sundays now, and I get to go to this really sweet summer camp. Um, I was involved in church and knew about God. I was hanging out with my friends at Wednesday night youth group and knew what the Bible said that God loves you and Jesus died for our sins. I mean, that's kind of it, right? Now that I had agreed to believe that, I could continue going to church on Sundays and check that box off my to-do list. Going to heaven, check. Now time to focus on important things like my golf game. That's inconvenient. That's right. This freakishly athletic specimen you see standing before you today chose to pursue the game of golf, and I know what you're thinking. Yes, I did do it for the women. Um, 
two weeks before my sophomore year in high school, my family decided to take a huge risk and send me off to a full-time golf academy five hours away from home. I was ecstatic. This was my chance to be a big deal. This was my chance to play at a big college and turn into a local celebrity. Over the next three years, I would admittedly work a little bit too hard. The 40-plus hours a week I was logging on the golf course was doing great things for my golf game, but I was losing touch with my purpose. I was consumed by the game and can now admit that I put all my self-worth into the scores I was shooting and how my peers perceived me. Despite all of this, I was lucky to commit to TCU during my junior year. Uh, what I learned next was something I never really anticipated. Uh, it was something that wasn't ever explicitly told to anybody by me uh, other than my parents, but who actually listens to their parents when you're in high school. I learned that hard work can be a bad thing when you have your identity tied to your performance. I was now a TCU golfer that came with expectations, expectations I had to work to achieve. I had been given this huge blessing to attend such an elite academy and an even bigger blessing to get to play for a top 10 program. If I didn't perform, I was useless. Unfortunately, I went through a slump in my game during my freshman year, something that happens to every competitive golfer at some point. I didn't handle this well and spiraled a bit. During the first month of my sophomore year, I was cut from the golf team. A girl I'd been pursuing for a year turned me down when I told her how I felt. My best friend transferred to California to continue playing, and my grandfather passed away. I think it's fair to say sophomore year was the middle school of my college career. It sucked. Um, I didn't really know what to do. I quit playing golf for about six months. I listened to a lot of Smiths in my room with the lights off. It was a weird semester. It wasn't until a year later that I would get involved with College Golf Fellowship. I slowly got back into social golf with my roommates and got pulled into these weekly Bible studies that a CGF rep, Travis, who happened to be a TCU alumni, would host for the team. Uh, my roommate and I began hosting, but to be honest, it was mostly for the free Chipotle he would bring. I will do a lot of things I'm not proud of for a free meal. Uh, this went on for about three semesters, and during my last CGF retreat, something changed. I don't specifically remember what was talked about, but it ended with my roommate and I having a heart-to-heart -heart with Travis about our hearts matching our actions. I finally took accountability for my faith and relationship with Christ, and things were going to change. I started attending a church on campus every Sunday and joined my first community group. In my last four months at TCU, I finally got to see what I had been missing out on all along. The peace and joy that permeated these kids' lives was astounding. I understood the importance of community and how impossible it was for me to grow my faith on my own, something I'd been trying to do for a while. For this reason, I knew that once I graduated and moved to New York to pursue coaching, finding a church had to be the first thing on my list. Luckily, LMCC was the second one I tried, and I immediately knew I had found my home. Not only did they offer me free food at the newcomer's dinner, but the pastor just came over and handed me a beer. Sold. Um, in all seriousness, this congregation has been a huge part of this life-changing experience. I don't have the words to express my gratitude for everyone who has mentored me, supported me in a community group, prayed for me, or just been friendly and welcoming. LMCC will forever be in my heart, and I'm beyond certain that God wasn't concerned with my career when he sent me here. I was brought to New York to find LMCC. My world has been turned upside down because of what has happened here in the last 15 months. I mentioned at the beginning how little stands out for me in my life in terms of this Hollywood salvation story. Even my struggles feel blown out of proportion. Poor thing, you didn't play golf well enough. I think that's the epitome of first world problems. But I want to clarify something, especially to this congregation. The comforts and blessings that God gives us can so quickly and easily be manipulated by Satan. He wants us to be satisfied, 
and distracted with our lives. He wants us to be comfortable. Sometimes when everything is taken away from us, it's easier to reach out to God for help, but that isn't always the case. I don't care how good you think your life is right now. If you don't know Jesus, it could be better. There is no amount of success or money or fame that can replace the satisfaction found in Christ. In hindsight, God has been knocking at my door for as long as I can remember. I was just too comfortable to get up and answer it. All right, I didn't choke on my own spit. Cole, do you renounce Satan and all his empty promises? Do you wish to put to death the desires that lead you away from the love of God? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died, was buried, rose again on the third day, ascended into heaven, and will come again? It's on the basis of this confession that we're going to baptize you now, our brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You were buried with him in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. Let's say this together. Let's say this together. We receive you into the household of God, confess the faith of Christ crucified, proclaim his resurrection, and share with us in his eternal family. Amen. Next, please welcome Tina. For most of my life, I can best describe my relationship with God as one that I had kept at arm's length, choosing self-reliance over surrender and mostly reaching out to God as a last resort. I was conditioned from an early age to demand and expect a lot of myself. At the same time, I believed that God had planned to use me for his glory. Until recently, I didn't appreciate the tension between these dynamics, trusting God to make things happen that were beyond my imagination or being in control. Nor did I appreciate how the latter posed a barrier to having a real relationship with God. My father immigrated to North America with $1,500 in his pocket. And my mother, also a first-generation immigrant, at one time held two jobs to help her parents make ends meet. They worked tirelessly and struggled to give my brother and I opportunities they never had. My parents gave me confidence I could do anything and taught me to be fiercely independent. With this came immense expectation that I would do great things and be self-sufficient enough to not really need any help along the way. In the struggle, there were periods of great pain in our family that oftentimes made me really angry with God and fueled my personal determination. I also grew up close to family that was deep in faith. My grandmother, who was like a second mother, was an extraordinary woman of God. In her passing, she was described as amazing grace. 
She had a pure and personal relationship with God like no one I've ever known. Four of her sons were pastors. Through my grandmother and my uncles, I grew up seeing tangible manifestations of God's glory. In praying for me, my grandmothers and uncles would tell me that God had plans to use me mightily. Given that I had literally seen countless miracles and prophecies come true over the course of my life, I had never doubted this to be true. I also knew that even though I had been successful and checked a lot of boxes in terms of achievement, it paled in comparison to what God had intended for me. I wondered when God would act on his plan, and more specifically, why he hadn't acted on it yet. My eyes were open this fall when I realized, first, I needed to get out of my own way if I wanted God to do his work. And second, if I really wanted God to use me, a direct and personal relationship with him was table stakes. My first moment of awareness came when my grandmother passed away two and a half years ago. I could no longer outsource prayer to her or rely on her to act as a bridge to my Heavenly Father. From there, joining this church, listening to Ryan and Logan's sermons, hearing your stories from this stage or in getting to know you personally has been the missing link and the light that finally woke me up. While I grew up in church, while I grew up with church, rather, <laughs> this is the first time in my life that I consider myself part of a church. So it's exciting to stand in front of God and with you. Being baptized today is about giving my entire life to God, taking my hands off the reins so that, he may, that I may pursue his plan for me and growing each and every day in my relationship with him. I would like to close with a Bible verse that I've read many times and didn't fully internalize until today, that our faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 1 Corinthians 2.5. You notice a theme emerging, which is this theme of identity. Logan prayed about it. You know, that's why it's a, a burial and a birth. The old you dying, the new you being born. And it's about not just this new uh, solo identity, but this identity in Christ. It's not just that you're buried like Christ and raised like Christ. You are buried with Christ. You are raised with Christ. And Paul says, I no longer live. It's Christ that lives in me. And that's what these people were talking about. That's what they're declaring today. This union with Christ themselves and Jesus becoming one. So Tina, do you renounce Satan and all his empty promises? Do you wish to put to death the sinful desires that draw you away from the love of God? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died, was buried, rose again on the third day, ascended into heaven, and will come again? It's on the basis of this confession that we're going to now baptize you, our sister, buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. read this together. We receive you into the household of God, confess the faith of Christ crucified, proclaim his resurrection, 
and share with us in his eternal family. Amen. Next, please welcome Courtney. So I'm a middle school teacher, so I'm going to pretend you're all 10 and 11-year-olds who are thinking a lot more about their crush than what I'm saying. I grew up surrounded by a gregarious and outgoing extended family who loves to make any gathering a dance party, even funerals. And for as long as I remember, I just didn't fit in. Aunts and cousins frequently commented on my quiet demeanor, even predicting future years of rebellion and disaster in my life. They would say to me, you know, it's the quiet ones that turn out to be the craziest. <laughs> I hated these characterizations. They made me feel different. They made me feel like an outsider. So I started to teach myself how to write my own story. I learned how to give people just enough details to like me, but not enough to judge me. And that is how I lived my life for the next 20 plus years. At my workplace, with family and friends, at my community group, and with the people in this church, I told a story that made me look as normal as possible. But in the last few months, I've realized that there is a much better story that has already been written for me. I'm here this morning because that is the story I want to tell. I grew up Catholic. My family and I would go to church every Sunday. On my own, even as a small child, I took my faith seriously. I remember walking around in my room, talking to God as if he were my best friend. Just as Matt had described earlier in the summer, I had a running dialogue with him, fully believing that he could answer back if he wanted to. This continued until I learned that this behavior was not normal. Not everyone was going around talking to God all day long. This revelation was shocking, but also presented a problem that I had to correct quickly. At first, I took small steps to erase God from my life, and inevitably, these became bigger and bigger erasures as the years went on. Before I knew it, I was living and sleeping with my boyfriend, idolizing my job, and obsessing about money. And while I felt empty, even dead inside, Tipper and I did a great job pretending to be okay. Our friends were impressed by our relationship. People at work believed I had everything figured out. My story was working, until it wasn't. Two years ago, after months of counseling, fighting, and waiting, Tipper confessed that he had cheated on me several years prior. I remember beating my clenched fists with screams ringing in my head. Why did this happen to me? Looking back at it now, this is the moment God began to unwind the carefully constructed narrative I had created for my life. And for the first time in a long time, I needed him. The next few days were a whirlwind, but desperately trying to find help, I shared this horrific detail with the people around me. I talked to Ryan, Marcy, Laurel, and Lisa, trying to navigate through what I thought at the time was a disaster. Before long, Tipper and I started to contemplate what it would look like to restart our relationship in a way that would ple be pleasing to God. That meant we would stop having sex, we would live apart, and for the first time ever, we would make God the priority. Of course, these decisions did not come easily or without strife. And then God spoke to me. One night, I sprung from sleep with a sharp pain in my leg and the image of Psalm 127 to 129 imprinted on my mind. When I went to the Bible, I found this verse. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. 
From that point, Tipper and I knew that we had to reset our relationship. So we stopped having sex, we stopped living together, and for the first time ever, we made God the priority in both of our lives. This was the first time that I had surrendered my fairy tale story to God's will, and he healed our relationship and blessed us with a marriage that we could never have imagined or created ourselves. With this experience, I began to surrender more and more of my life, including my finances and job, and every time God showed up. Last year, Tipper and I tithed aggressively to the church, despite the wedding we were planning and paying for. We estimated a debt as high as $10,000. That never happened. At the end of that year, I realized that my job would never let me do work with God at the center. So I left that job, taking a $25,000 pay cut, and it's like it never happened. At my new job, I have a desire and energy to do God's work. These are miracles, but I avoided every chance to share them. I retreated back into the comfortable privacy of my own mind. I thought, what if people don't believe me? What if I'm making this up in my head? What if they think I'm strange? But in the last few months, it's become clear to me that I have to share. If I want God to be the realest thing in my life, then he needs to exist beyond the confines of my thoughts and the whispers of my prayers. And so that brings me to the most recent part of my story, a part of the story that doesn't really fit into the nicely constructed narrative, nor does it accomplish a task of making me look normal, but it's part of God's story for me. Two Sundays ago, December 1, after church, I found myself in a room with Dane, Ryan, and Jasmine. I had no real purpose for being there. At least that's what I thought. Honestly, I was just waiting for two other people to head out to brunch. But God had something different in mind. In the room, I remember it being very hot and my palms were sweating. A feeling of anticipation began to build up in me and then someone said, Courtney's ready to speak in tongues. Right now, she's ready. Everyone looked at me and not knowing what else to do, I nodded my head yes. At that moment, I felt something in my throat, like a ball or a frog that wanted to jump out. Then Ryan, Dane, and Jasmine started praying for me. My legs shook, and this shaking climbed up my body. I felt pressure in my chest and hot, very hot. The feelings are hard to describe. The only word that comes to mind is overwhelming. And as they continued to pray, I was thinking two things. One, this is incredible, and two, this needs to stop. <laughs> but my desire for the joy and exhilaration beat out any anxiety or fear that slithered around in my mind. Jasmine began to instruct me to open my mouth, and that's when it happened. My jaw felt unhinged, and my tongue started to move around in my mouth, and noises came out. I knew I was in control and could make it stop, but at the same time, I wasn't in control. I was flooded with joy and tears streamed down my face. I knew then, in a way that I had never really known before, that God really loves me. It's been two weeks, and it's funny how the rest of the world just stays the same. Even most of me is the same. But there's something else now. My mind keeps going back to that moment in the back room of this building. And yes, there are plenty of questions. What happened back there? Was that real? What does it mean? But there's also this thirst for God, for his love, 
for his closeness, for his protection. And while it's a weird part of my story, one that I surely had not counted on writing in, it's a crucial moment, maybe even a climax. And while I would rather edit out this experience, who am I to strip God of his authorial power? Who am I to say how my story goes? So I'm embracing the story that he has for me. Every horrific detail, every weird scene, because I've learned that I would much rather be a character in God's story than the protagonist of my own. And that is why I am choosing to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. I want to publicly confess that he is the Lord and Savior of my life. I want to publicly confess that I believe that God knit me together in my mother's womb. And I believe that he sent his only son to die for me and my sins. I believe that Jesus raised from the dead so that I might have new life. I believe that the spirit dwells within me and enables me to live righteously and faithfully. God has freed me. And with that freedom, I'm choosing to trust him with my story and I'm committing to living for him. Courtney, do you renounce Satan and all his empty promises? Do you wish to put to death all the sinful desires that lead you away from the love of God? Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, was buried, rose again, ascended into heaven, and will come back? It's on the basis of this confession that we're going to baptize you now, our sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with him in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. Let's read this together. We receive you into the household of God, confess the faith of Christ crucified, proclaim his resurrection, and share with us in his eternal family. Amen. Next, please welcome Jamie. I'm tall. Not as tall as Cole, but I got time. Good morning. Let's try that again. Good morning. So nice to see everybody here today. This season, we celebrate how God sent a child to save the world. Well, God sent a child to rescue me, too. A real, living, breathing child. His name was Michael. He was about 11 or 12. Now, Jesus' family didn't have much money, and neither did Michael's. Uh, Hark, the herald angels sing to announce the birth of Jesus. And hark, uh, God spoke through a song 
that Michael brought to his guitar lesson with me. I didn't know it at the time, but it was God's trumpet pointed directly at my deaf heart. Now this feels weird, but thanks to Google Calendar, I can tell you the exact moment that God launched this rescue effort. It was Wednesday, February 29th, 2012, at exactly 5 o'clock in the evening. Um, Michael said his mom had asked him to learn this old hymn so he could play it in church, the hymn called I Must Tell Jesus. There was a recording they liked by a Caribbean singer named Sanchez, so I listened, I transcribed the song, and I taught it to Michael. I thought nothing of it, but there was something about that song and that recording that just stuck in my head. I found myself warming up with it when I, when I practiced. Later that year, in a lesson with my own vocal coach, Marlon, I played and sang it. Where did that come from, Marlon said. You should record a few songs like that. <laughs> I laughed it off. Come on, man, I'm a singer and a songwriter. I'm a rocker. I'm not, I'm not a gospel singer. A few weeks later, I had another lesson with Marlon, and he suggested I pick up a book uh, by a writer named Florence Scovel Shin. He didn't tell me much, except that he had found it helpful in his own life as a young artist. I'd never heard of Florence Scovel Shin, but I know that when Stevie Wonder's choir director tells you to do something, you do it. Um, so a week later, I was at home at my parents' for Thanksgiving. I wake up, and what do you think is on the nightstand next to the bed? The writings of Florence Scovel Shin. <laughs> I freaked out. Where did this come from? I asked my stepmother. Oh, I gave that to your stepbrother last Christmas. Uh, he must have, must have just left it there. It's been sitting there for months. This is just weird. My hair was tingling as I texted Marlon, telling him this could only have been a miracle, and I don't believe in miracles. The book, if you're wondering, is filled with anecdotes about the unlimited abundance of God and that if we just trust him, he'll give us everything we need when we need it. This episode was my first inkling that something supernatural was going on. Now, the symbolism of the date that God called me is not lost on me either. It's a leap day. God is so funny even when he's doing the serious work. Well, for example, when I look back, I had to look back through my computer to look at uh, to, I was just curious to see when I did teach Michael this, this song, and there, I had taught him for three years. There was a whole list of dates, so I just randomly clicked on a date. It was February 29th, 2012. First click. Twice this past week, while waiting for two different doctors in two different waiting rooms, I only sat down long enough to hear part of one song come on the office radio. Both time, that song was by Hozier, Take Me to Church. That song's not even a hit right now. <laughs> like, ha ha, God. Flash forward a few years to 2015. We had a one-year-old son and had talked about finding a church so that at least he'd be raised something. But we hadn't really given it any effort. That spring, my wife Joyce's mother, a devout Christian herself, passed away all too quickly after a brief bout with cancer. About the same time, Danielle Pasno, a guitar student of mine, invited us here to church. Something about this place was okay, actually. It wasn't weird. The band was great. Ryan's sermon was a surprise. Uh, it was growing up, I always fell asleep during the sermon. 
But Ryan's was different. His sermon was the first time someone was actually engaging me and making me think in a, uh, in a way that wasn't clothed in impenetrable churchy words. And the raisin bagels have crack baked into them, I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> if you haven't tried them, you need to go try them. Um, so we started coming off on and off, mostly for the bagels, partly for the sermon <laughs> and the music. Um, in 2016, Joyce was baptized here. I thought about being baptized then, but I shrugged it off. It's like getting a driver's license, I thought. So, so just so you can take communion. Well, I'm good there. You see, the first time I was baptized, I was seven years old, and I got a terrarium. It was a big deal. I was seven. It was a big glass oval one with a narrow neck, open to the air. I kept it alive for like a year. I think it was the longest I've ever kept plants alive. Um, it was at the Episcopal Church in my hometown in Connecticut. I sang in the children's choir. I carried the cross as an acolyte. I did all that stuff. My mom took me and my brother almost every Sunday growing up. But my parents split when I was 14, uh, about the same time that I decided that working at the country club was a better use of my Sunday mornings. My parents' divorce had decimated my faith in my family. And church felt pleasant but anemic, a town coffee hour, an institution with no real power to affect my life. So the idea of, spend, of having some spending money and being outside was a lot more appealing. Along the way, a girlfriend in high school gave me a copy of C.S. Lewis' Mere Christianity, and she brought me to her New Agey church. Another friend brought me on a weekend Emmaus retreat. Both experiences felt forced and a little weird. People, I don't want hugs from strangers. And I wasn't a juvenile delinquent in need of stability and salvation. I was an honor student and an athlete, thank you very much. In college, I didn't go to church either. My friend Lucy came to me in tears one day freshman year, convinced I was going to hell. She's a pastor now, in case you're wondering. Um, it bothered me a little, but I thought, no, no, I'm a decent person. I volunteer. I'm not a drunken, groping frat boy. I'm good. But I wasn't. I wasn't. I was plagued by feelings of inferiority and a simultaneous sense of entitlement. Surrounded by the overachieving geniuses at a competitive school, I felt like an idiot, even though I managed to earn mostly A's. While I had a good time in college, my experience reinforced the idea that my sense of self-worth was singularly coupled to my achievement, an idea I tried to reject again and again, but I, I couldn't find any way to do it. In hindsight, I was searching for God. I studied comparative religions, I read Zen koans at Buddhist temples in Japan, I stood nearly naked under a waterfall at a Shinto shrine. This didn't bring me any closer to God, so I ultimately I decided to, to worship music, the one thing I was convinced was universally good. But even something as divine as music will destroy you if you make it your meaning in life as I did. I found out the hard way that it doesn't matter what your pursuit is, if it comes before God, you will work yourself to death pursuing it. Or that achieving success, as good as it feels, fades quickly, leaving you waking up the next morning wondering, man, now what? That was a lot of work, and i got to do it all over again. But you have to understand, as recently as 2015, I thought I was fine. I really did. I had two degrees. I was married. I had a job I liked. I had a healthy baby. I wasn't in debt. I was living my teenage dream of fronting a rock band and making a living as a musician and a music teacher. Now, we only went to church on Easter and Christmas, but I never seriously doubted God's existence, but he didn't really seem that relevant to me. I mean, after all, I'm telling you, I thought I was fine. Look how good I have it, I thought. I'm not on drugs. 
I'm not cheating on my wife. I'm setting a good example for my students. Now, to be fair, I was self-absorbed, and I had nearly sacrificed my marriage a few years earlier on the altar of vanity and career. Sure, I was consumed with self-doubt and anxiety, a swirling pit in my stomach from morning until night, convinced I was not living up to my potential, but unsure what to do about it. Sure, I looked at porn. Sure, I was stuck in a rut pursuing personal glory at the expense of everybody around me. It was all about me, all the time. I just wanted to justify all the money my parents had spent on my education and justify all the times growing up people told me, you're going to be great someday. So here are a few things I want to leave behind me. My quest for personal glory cloaked under the guise of personal fulfillment. Now, I still want personal fulfillment, but I want it to come through God because that's the only way it's going to come. I want to get rid of my selfish orientation toward the world, often masked by good intentions. That's really just about what I can get for myself and how good I can look to all of you. Uh, I really want to stop coveting guitars. That's a problem. Um, I, I, that's, I, that may never stop. I don't know. Um, uh, I'm done with porn. I really am. Um, I need to get rid of my need for praise and adoration for people that partly drove me to be a musician and love being in front of people like this. Um, I want to get rid of my fears of failure and simultaneously success. I want to stop wasting my time and talent pursuing anything other than using my life to serve God. Um, and I want to get rid of my sense of superiority, that somehow I'm different and better than other people, and that the rules don't apply to me. And that's a, that's a tough one. Um, so I'm standing here today as proof that God is real, God is active, and God is paying close attention, and he's a good, loving father. Um, since he called me, and since, especially since we started uh, attending LMCC regularly this year and joined a community group, which you should all do, um, I've been sick less, I've been healed of an addiction, my relationship with my wife and children is a lot better, I've been less anxious, I've been happier, I've received unexpected material blessings, and I've found a renewed sense of purpose and ambition. But this time, it's not for myself, but for Jesus, and to be the person God made me to be. Um, so, why am I being baptized? For three reasons. I want God to be first in my life, because definitely it hasn't been until now. I want to make a public statement to show that I'm nothing short of a miracle. I'm living proof of Isaiah 65.1, where it says, I was not, basically, I was not looking for him. He found me. I was not looking for him. He came after me. He rescued me from my attempts to find meaning and happiness in anything other than him. I let you wander, he seems to be saying, and now your 40 years in the desert are over. Two weeks ago, the night after I told Logan I wanted to be baptized, I had a dream. In it, I felt like I was in pre-surgery. You know, where they, they put you in a room in a, with a gown, they give you some sedatives, and you feel a certain anxiousness. Not unlike waiting for the headliner to appear at a concert. But then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit came into my body, and I was flying euphorically around the city. I had no agency of my own. I was totally under the control of the Spirit. It was awesome and terrifying, like being on a really big roller coaster where you're strapped in, and there's absolutely nothing you can do until the ride is over. When the Spirit put me back on the ground, I ran into this church in my dream, shouting and jumpfully joining jumping joyfully in the air like a kid. I did it! I did it! Knowing full well that 
I did nothing. It was all the Holy Spirit. It was an amazing experience feeling the Spirit enter my body in the dream. And I really, I've been praying that it, hope it happens in real life now. Um, I used to think my job in life was to live up to my potential, whatever that means. But I want to live the rest of my life in such a way that when I die, to very poorly paraphrase Dr. Martin Luther King, people will not say, look at all the money he had. They'll say, look how generously he gave. They won't say, look what a glorious career he had. They'll say, look at how caring and compassionate he was. And they won't say, look at what a comfortable life he led. They'll say, look at how fearless he was in fighting injustice. They'll say, look what a faithful, devoted, and loving son, husband, and father he was. I hope to set an example for my children that lasts for generations with an exponential effect of faith and spiritual power to be obedient servants of Christ and forces for powerful change in the world. That through me, the Spirit can bring the kingdom of God with its peace and joy to my family, my friends, my students, my neighbors, New York City, America, and maybe even the world. And I've, I've spoken way too long. Thank you. But there is one last bit to the story, and I hope, I hope you'll oblige me. Last year at this time, I was sick in bed for a month with viral meningitis. I was sleeping 16 to 20 hours a day. I have never felt worse in my life. And yet, I'm telling you, I was never once afraid of what might happen to me. That would not have been the case even a few years earlier. I would have been scared to death. I prayed a lot in the brief times I was awake, and I asked Jesus to heal me. And clearly, some combination of my doctors, my pills, and he did, because I'm here today. In that time, though I was reduced to a weak, helpless child, my faith in God grew. I pray, Lord, that, you c that I continued to come to you with the trusting love of a little child, just as you sent a child for me. Amen. In terms of the coincidences he was talking about, those, that is the way God speaks. It's one of the ways he speaks, but it's a very common way he speaks. So think about your life. You know, what are these coincidences that he's trying to be speaking to you, get your attention? That book being on the nightstand, what is the probability of that? You know, and you're thinking, oh, it's a coincidence. It, it just happens. Stop being stupid. <laughs> like, what, what are the chances? What are the chances? What are the chances? of that book being on that, that nightstand. And then even just in terms of today's service, you know, him, uh, we didn't coordinate this, uh, the testimonies, uh, almost phrase for phrase, what Cole said about, I love this thing so much, but then it ate me up. Uh, and I got all my identity and sense of validation from performance. Why would God have two people write the exact same paragraph in two separate testimonies? Maybe because he wanted to say it to you. Maybe because he knew you were gonna be here today. And he wanted to say that to you. That's not their story at that point then. All of a sudden, God has taken their story and made it his word directly to you. So thank you for sharing. Jamie, do you renounce Satan and all his empty promises? Do you wish to put to death the sinful desires that lead you away from the love of God? Do you believe that Jesus 
died on the cross for your sins, was buried, rose again, ascended into heaven, and will come again. So on the basis of this confession that we're going to baptize you now, our brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with him in baptism, and raised to walk in newness of life. Let's read this together. We receive you into the household of God, confess the faith of Christ crucified, proclaim his resurrection, and share with us in his eternal family. Amen. Next, please welcome Shekinah Glory. Good morning. Throwback to homeschool, high school speech and debate. Oh my goodness. <laughs> The last time I expressed I wanted to be baptized, I was five years old. I felt God fully alive within me, and I knew his power. I knew God's power because I experienced his joy while singing at the top of my lungs, and God's comfort while I prayed in terrifying circumstances. My life mission was to be God's light to the world. I had a burning desire to be a missionary, but first, I wanted to be baptized. The church I was attending limited baptisms to ages 12 and older, but life would change significantly in those seven years. My family experienced hardship, which resulted in years where we didn't attend church. My mom often had to work on Sundays, so we listened to sermons at home, read our Bibles, and watched plenty of biblical films. God worked incredible miracles in our lives during this time. Our handful of flour was never used up, and our little olive oil was never dry, because God was our steady provider and our deliverer. Our provisions were stretched beyond belief. And yet, my desire to be baptized waned. Without a home church, it didn't feel like it was a possibility. But even so, it didn't really matter to me. Around 16 or 17, I started attending church again. It was a tight-knit community of people who inspired me, cared for me, and challenged me to read scripture more scrupulously. My relationship with God deepened tremendously. The church did annual retreats where people were baptized in the ocean. It was poetic and breathtaking, but I never did it. I don't know why. Then came the college years, where, uh, where for the first time in my life, I struggled with being open about my beliefs. Around this time, my church back home dissipated, which in my time of transition left me wilting. During my sophomore year, I got plugged in in a lovely church plant. I remember sitting at this church's baptism services time after time, reminding myself that I didn't feel at home in this church quite yet. And I wanted an ocean baptism anyway. 
Sophomore year remains a lighthouse in my life. In my senior year, I decided to take Sundays off. The lovely church plant I had been attending was growing rapidly, and with it came changes I didn't like. I was also growing more combative with the Bible and felt a break from people who only speak about God as masculine would be healthy. This became a really difficult time in my life. Academically, I was thriving, but in every other part of my life, I felt dry. My mom, who diligently sent me daily texts with scripture, which I, in turn, diligently ignored, grew concerned about my spiritual health. She called one day saying LMCC would be doing a baptism service. I should think about it. She pleaded with me to think about it. But I knew I couldn't. At that time, God and I had no relationship. I had driven the spirit so far away from me and let God know I was in my exploratory phase, so TTYL. <laughs> but in that time, God let me know that when I don't have a relationship with him, it's awful. <laughs> I am not pleasant. I am bitter, thorny, and dry. And I think I know everything. I had a breaking point and decided to reflect on the last time I felt really good in my life. I pulled out my journals from sophomore year to learn from my past. I was shocked to discover all of these journals were covered in praises and prayer requests. That was it. It was all letters to God saying, thank you, and guide me. I want to serve you. I want to be a reflection of you. It brought me to tears. It led me to set aside my antagonism and decide that beyond everything, I desire the spirit. I desire the spirit to dwell in me. Shekinah glory. Since then, it's taken me two years to get here. I've used every excuse in the book. Honestly, it's taken me 20, 25, but here I am. Lord, here I am. Shekinah, do you renounce Satan and all his empty promises? Do you wish to put to death the sinful desires that lead you away from the love of God? Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, was buried, rose again on the third day, ascended into heaven, and will come again? It's on the basis of your testimony and this confession that we will baptize you now, our sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
Let's read this together. We receive you into the household of God, confess the faith of Christ crucified, proclaim his resurrection, and share with us in his eternal family. Amen. Before I uh, welcome the next testimony, we've got three testimonies left. And uh, I had a sense even earlier this morning and a sense that's been uh, growing, a conviction that's been growing as we've sat here listening to these folks share uh, that God wants to do something very special uh, in our midst at the end of this service. So uh, we will have a, a time of response like we normally do, uh, except longer, uh, you know, three or four songs instead of two. And the reason I'm sharing that is, you know, we've got three more testimonies. Uh, I'll come back up and introduce the time of response for five minutes and then the time of singing and receiving prayer. Uh, it's already, the service has already gone longer than normal. And so what I want to put out there, um, and this is not, <laughs> when I say these things, I think people think it's like a dare or I'm trying to like, you know, push you to the other side. It's a genuine invitation that if you're feeling restless, you know, it's, it's totally fine to get up and leave. Um, and I would ask you to, unless you're supporting one of the three people that I haven't shared yet, then you, you're stuck. Um, but otherwise, you know, if you're just like, oh, the service is getting long, like when, when we get to go to lunch and my kids are going to be getting hungry, it's okay. Like, it's okay if today's not your day. It's okay. And there's no shame in that. But it's somebody's day. It's somebody's day. It's these nine people. Uh, and I think it's even beyond these nine people. So if that's where you're at and you're feeling restless just for the sake of the spiritual energy in the room, uh, I would ask that you, you know, go get a cup of coffee and then come back uh, for lunch. Um, and then for the rest of you, you know, settle in uh, because I know it's been a long service already, but it's worth it. It's worth it today. So... Um, Next, please welcome Morgan. I was kind of hoping more people would get coffee so I could talk to an empty room. Um, speaking is not my forte. I asked if I could lip sync, but that got shot down. Um, so I came into this world baptized and a rule follower. I grew up in a conservative Christian household. I memorized Bible verses went to Sunday school, prayed before every meal, prayed before bedtime, and tithed my $10 allowance. If I came across a dead animal on the side of the road, I would quietly pray for its soul. It's true. <laughs> when an ambulance drove by, I would pray to help those who were in need. When scared or worried, I would recite the 23rd Psalm or repeat, when I am afraid, I will trust in thee. On the outside, I looked like a cookie-cutter Christian. On the inside, I felt restricted, embarrassed, and singled out. I never liked being forced to participate in church activities. In school, I was pulled out of certain classes that didn't go along with my family's beliefs. I sat singled out in a computer lab while others stayed in class. I didn't have close Christian friends. I felt embarrassed when friends came over. The time came to pray before we ate. I was okay with being a Christian, but I wanted people to still know I was cool. I kept one foot in and one foot out. In school, I went through the same motions. I obeyed the rules, did my homework, and was an A student. I never received pressure from my parents to be a perfect student. In my mind, it was the only option. Though I knew how to get good grades, I wasn't always absorbing the information. I was the same with Christianity. If I do X, Y, Z, then I will be saved, and that is that. I became superstitious with religion. I would think bad things happened to me because I skipped church one week. I wasn't absorbing to live through faith. 
In my personal life, I was a people pleaser that constantly was seeking validation from others. I had poor self-esteem and even poorer body image. But I had many friends and even more acquaintances. I knew how to get people to like me and could cater myself to almost anyone. I wanted to be liked. This carried well into adulthood where I'd pour everything into friendships, relationships, and work. I relied heavily on others to fill me up. The problem was when people would let me down, which, why wouldn't they? After all, we are all human. Through a series of events, last year was one of my most difficult years. <laughs> I felt worthless, empty, and taken advantage of. I yearned to be nurtured, cared for, and recognized by anyone. I would plead with God to heal my heart and erase my memories of hurt and disappointment. I was secretly angry with my peers when everything seemed so easy for them. And I would think, well, they're not Christian, yet they found a significant other, they're making a lot of money, they're traveling the globe. Compliments like, you're so pretty, creative, funny, etc., started to feel hurtful. I thought, if I'm all of these things plus a believer, why isn't this happening for me? I started to think that others were better Christians that had a direct link to God. Being the perfectionist I was, I thought I wasn't doing enough. I tried to self-help through exercise, acupuncture, and therapy. New York caters so well to self-help. <laughs> I reached a point where I had nothing left to give and I was out of ideas. I missed the point completely. I was trying to fill my God-shaped hole with other people and would fail every time. Sometimes you have to be broken down to the lowest point to fall to God and realize he's the only answer and the only one that can fill that void. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Psalm forty six ten. Be still and know that I am God. LMCC came into my life at the right time. I had been t attending a different church for five years, but still wasn't feeling plugged in. I came here with my good friend Yuri Kim. Shout out when she listens to this. <laughs> One Sunday, and was instantly met with friendly faces, friendly faces that were eager to learn my name. I attended the church retreat where I met even more wonderful people, including Marcy, who has played a huge role in involving me with the church. Sermons were speaking to me over and over each Sunday, and I found myself actually wanting to get involved. I was getting over my fear of what others thought by going to the back, openly receiving prayer, and publicly crying. <laughs> I am still on a journey of seeing my worth through God's eyes and getting over my pride. The presence of the Holy Spirit in this church has been and continues to be incredibly powerful. Now when I cry on Sundays, it's not out of sadness, but in awe. My faith has been ignited in a new way, and what used to feel like a chore now fills me up. So here I am, being still, surrendering to God, and maybe it's uncool, but I'm okay with it. Thank you. Morgan, do you renounce Satan and all his empty promises? 
Do you wish to put to death the sinful desires that lead you away from the love of God? Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, was buried and rose again, ascended into heaven, and will come again? It's on the basis of this confession that we'll baptize you now, our sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. say this together. We receive you into the household of God, confess the faith of Christ crucified, proclaim his resurrection, and share with us in his eternal family. Amen. Next, please welcome Eric. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my testimony is pretty brief, but I hope uh, it covers everything, and it certainly does come from the heart. Um, so I was, I was first introduced to the world of Christianity uh, when I met my girlfriend, Annie Yu, she's sitting right there, uh, about two years ago. Admittedly, at first, I was hesitant, to say the least, um, about being involved with someone who, whose life seemed to be very much, very much based on faith. Um, is, this is obviously a very foreign concept to me for the first 27 years of my life. I was not raised in a Christian household. I had no Christian friends. Um, my parents had never gone to church or ha had told us to go to church. Honestly, when I first came here, I was looking for the confession room. Because um, I, I, didn't, I didn't know there's an open bar at church. I didn't know. <laughs> it, it, this is all very new. Um, and it, was, it wasn't that my family was against it in any way. They just never had the time when I was growing up with my brother to expose us to this world. So I was never even tangentially involved with, with the church at all. Um, and I think that like any millennial growing up in the 21st century, I had natural questions and curiosities about uh, Christianity and, and or, or just about religion in general, um, many of which Logan and Ryan have helped me address very elegantly. Um, but only in the past two years, I've really, is really the first time I've, I've really dove in. Um, so as I consider what's arguably, not arguably, definitely the most important and life-changing decision of my life. Um, I've spent some time thinking critically about how I got here and where to go next. So as I think about my journey in life up until this point, um, I really do have everything in the, in the world to be thankful for. Uh, from my upbringing and the love provided by my parents and my brother to the quality of friendships that I'm blessed with. Um, you know, as well as the, all of the opportunities I've had the chance to pursue and, and all the interests in my life that I, that I could chase, I can't say that I have, I've had all that much to complain about in life. Um, life will always be full of ups and downs, and it can be wildly unpredictable at the most curious times, uh, but it's only until recently that I feel like I've, been, I've grown up enough to finally self-reflect self upon these blessings and fortunes. Is there a reason I deserve such a blessed life? versus anyone else, is there any choice I made to be born into this life versus you know, other people who are less fortunate? Um, you know, whether it was due to a lack of maturity or simply a lack of self-awareness, uh, my past self, the one that did not take the time to ask these questions, the, the one that did not take the time to appreciate 
everything I have, um, is what I, I really want to leave behind as I begin my journey in seeking faith in Christ um, and ultimately making a priority help, to help others. Empathy and perspective taking are two things that I don't think really are top of mind when I think of my own uh, traits or even if you ask my friends um, about me. But honestly, I, I, I would say that the almost 100% of the hardships and struggles I've had to deal with in life have been a consequence of these blind spots. Uh, they've been a consequence of, of these shortcomings that I see in myself. You know, having been in New York for so long, really since college, um, I feel it's really easy to get caught up in your own path, uh, chasing your own goals, your own ambitions, um, and you only perceive every human interaction as more of a resource. What am I getting out of this? Uh, how does this benefit in me? Um, and you really, what you do is you end up pushing people away the, the, who are the only real people who care about you. Um, I say this has happened to me more than once, certainly in the past three to four years. Uh, so my goal going forward as I seek to follow Christ is to gain complete clarity on how I can fully develop my empathy, uh, really be able to express my care for others, and being able to receive and cherish love from the people who love me, um, and continue to love and articulate my love for those who I hold dearest to my heart every single day. Um, and, you know, I, I do foresee a long-term purpose in life in serving others and continually, continually helping those in need in some capacity. But before I can do that, I, I must learn how to serve God. So as I continue my, my journey of self-reflection, LMCC has, has been one of the greatest blessings to come into my life in recent memory. Uh, coincidentally situated very close to my home and on the way up to see Annie. Um, she's been attending this church since she arrived in Manhattan over three years ago. Uh, the urban setting and extremely friendly hipster atmosphere of this church <laughs> really, it really resonated with me um, from the start and it continues to, se continues to separate itself with every single uh, sermon that's delivered every by either Ryan or Logan every single Sunday. Um, this is the first time in my life where I've entered a building um, on a regular basis and, and I, I really do feel moved, truly moved inside and out. Um, and I, I, I truly do believe that it was God's plan for, for all these circumstances to align. And I truly believe that LMCC was a church I was meant to be baptized in. So for those of you that are keeping score, that's at least the third time now that this ambition kind of chewing you up inside and finding worth and value in that, at least the third time that's come up. It may have been even more than that. And if you think that we, like, plant that stuff, you know, if we, like, we'll try to weave this, I mean, again, it's just that I think some of you, the conspiracy theories you come up with to try to explain this away, oh, that's not God talking to me. That's not God talking to me. It's like Christina talked about uh, at the beginning, you know, where Jesus is running to her. Uh, calling her name, and she's like, well, what was he wearing? You know, like, we'll do anything. We'll do anything to, to distract ourselves. So there it is, times three, just for you. Uh, and what, what Eric said was, he said, 
it didn't fall apart. It's not like my, like my, it all fell apart, but so what's wrong with it? Well, what was wrong with it is I realized it was making me treat the people that loved me like they were resources to be used for my ambition to get ahead. That's what was wrong with it. And only the Spirit of God can reveal something like that. Only the Spirit of God can come and speak to a person's heart. And he said it, the, the spots of blackness. Only the Spirit of God can reveal those spots. And those are the exact spots that Logan was talking about that are washed away. So, Eric, do you renounce Satan and all his empty promises? Do you wish to put to death the sinful desires that lead you away from the love of God? Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, was buried and rose again, ascended into heaven, and will come again someday? It's on the basis of your testimony and this confession that we baptize you, our brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with him in baptism, and raised to walk in newness of life. Let's say this together. We receive you into the household of God. Confess the faith of Christ crucified. Proclaim his resurrection and share with us in his eternal family. Amen. Next, please welcome Abby. Let me tell you, it's hard to sum up the most important part, in your, part of your life in a page and a half. So I was born in a Christian home um, and raised going to church. And while I accepted Christ as a child, I was definitely a Christian via osmosis. I only believed because my parents and the people at my church believed. When I was in junior high, I went to a Christian summer camp. I had gone before, but the speaker that year was particularly compelling. And one evening at chapel towards the end of the week, he invited the students to come forward and do, I don't even remember what, but it was some sort of an altar call. I went up because one of my friends did. And when I knelt, I became aware of my guilt, uh, specific guilt for cheating on some test months before, but also subliminally a more general guilt that I always carried around as a burden. I asked Jesus to forgive me, and he did. It felt like a weight lifted off my shoulders and off my heart, and that brought me to tears. That moment was significant because Jesus forgave me, my specific guilt and my specific burden, not me as generally a part of my church or a part of my family. I didn't realize it then, but looking back, that's when Jesus called me to come. The years passed and I grew, my faith being something that was my own, something that I wanted. I moved here to New York for college and started to coming to LMCC about two and a half years ago. And God gave me the teaching of this church, as well as a number of wonderful classes that grew my understanding of my faith like never before. After taking an Old Testament class, I felt like I finally started to see the Bible clearly for the first time. The whole point of scripture is that we have been separated from God, the being without whom none of our desires can be satisfied, and without whom we shrivel up and wilt like a plant disconnected from its roots. Because of that, God has shaped history as a grand plan to bring us back to himself. 
If the fundamental problem is separation, then the solution of Emmanuel, God with us, makes so much more sense. God wants us to know him, a closeness out of love, and in that there is life. In this understanding, God began, began to bloom a desire in my heart to not just come, but also to follow. I truly began to desire a life of service to him. And while all this was so good, I would have been content with something far less good than God wants for me. I had always been skeptical of the, the crazy spiritual gifts, you know, those, those extroverted, charismatic people being carried away by their emotions. But one evening at the beginning of October, the Thursday after Ryan sang, I've got a river of life flowing out of me, I got to go to an event called An Introduction to the Prophetic at a church in Midtown. I thought it would be a neat little 45-minute lecture with a Q&A afterwards, per usual, for the events at my school. Uh, but no, after worship and a small sermon, a team of pastors prophesied over us for almost two hours. They knew things about us that even people who knew us well could never have known. And they spoke with such power and unity of spirit that it was so clearly God speaking. God told me about his love for me about some of the marvelous plans he has for me. He told me, you hear my voice. Now it is the time to recognize that it's my voice. He told me to have confidence in him and in who he has made me and the boldness to stand up for what I believe. His promises are not a hypothetical hope, but something in which I am to take authority and declare to be true. The pastors prayed that I would receive the gift of prophecy, that I would have the boldness to speak truth in love, and that a fountain of living water would break forth. They used those exact words, not knowing that that's exactly what Ryan had said. Not even I will be able to hinder what God has for me. That night rocked my world, opening up in my mind a new possibility with my relationship with God that all of a sudden I wanted more than anything. Through a combination of continued teaching from that church and the power of God's presence here at LMCC, especially through the prayer of the people in the back, I now see and experience that God doesn't just want me to come and to follow him, but to abide in him. Emmanuel, God with us, isn't just a beautiful concept, but an alive and powerful reality. I've gotten to actually experience him in my heart as his spirit of peace is replacing a spirit of rejection and discouragement, and in my body through falling over and shaking at the worship night. So today, as I, through this ritual, publicly declare my identification with the death and life of Christ, I also declare to you that I want God to have total control of my life. I'm addicted, I'm sold, I'm all in. I will cease from my striving, for his spirit is within me. It is sealed, it is done. I will serve God. And he is so much bigger, so much more real than I ever thought. He is so much more real than you think. And the more I ask, the more I receive, and the more I become even more thirsty. I want to know and receive his love for me and be used by him to pour that love out for others. 
I want to continue to hear his voice, to see more of him and his power in my life, and to choose to live my life in light of eternity. Abby, do you renounce Satan and all his empty promises? Do you wish to put to death the sinful desires that lead you away from the love of God? Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, rose again on the third day, ascended into heaven, and is coming again? It's on the basis of this confession that we baptize you now, our sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's read this together. We receive you into the household of God, confess the faith of Christ crucified, proclaim his resurrection, and share with us in his eternal family. Amen. So as I said, what we'll do now is um, I'll just introduce this next segment of the service, uh, take a few minutes to introduce it, and then uh, we'll move into a time of response, as we usually do at, at this point in the service, uh, but it will be a little bit longer than usual, uh, a few more songs than usual. And it's like, well, why? Why, why a longer time of response after an already overly long service? And I smell lunch coming in, and I heard them, you know, with the utensils, like, I, you know, think, think we did it. think we wrapped it up. Uh, I think we're good. And we're not. We're not good. We didn't wrap it up. Um, the reason we're going to have more time for the time of response is my sense is uh, what God wants to do is, you know, we have these two options, these two things you could do uh, during the time of response normally. You can come and receive communion or you can go and receive prayer. And up until a few months ago, uh, going to receive prayer was just a token option. You know, nobody did it. You know, it was really just one option. People would come and receive communion. And then for the last few months, people have been going to receive prayer in the same numbers as coming to receive communion, and that's been a, a beautiful thing to see. But I think that God today, and this is, this is not like going to be an every week thing, I don't think. I think God today wants there to be a third option during this time of response. Uh, so in just a minute, when the band comes to sing, and people are going to receive communion, and people are going to receive prayer. I think that for some of you, what you should do is come and be baptized. Um, and my sense is, this isn't like, uh, you know, uh, like a fortune teller thing where I have an exact number, you know, but my, my sense is it's about twice as many people as share their testimonies this morning. You know, we had nine this morning. I think at least twice that many people, honestly are going to come, and just the way you line up for prayer, just line up right here. Just line up right there to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And you say, well, um, they got to have, like, a change of clothes. 
You know, they were in like shorts and they were prepared for it. It doesn't matter. You know it doesn't matter. How many people today said the thing about uh, the line that you, Logan had used, you know, about God's victory over my dignity? Which, by the way, is one of the ways you know something's the word of the Lord. Not just because uh, I say it. You know, I say, I think the word of the Lord is this. Well, let's see. Let's give it some time. Let's see what happens over the next few months. Logan told me the day before that sermon, God gave me a word for the end of the sermon. His victory over our dignity. And then now we see, you know, over the months, it was the word of the Lord. Because it just keeps speaking to people. And it's his word to you right now. <laughs> you know, you know, let the fact that you don't have a change of clothes... Really, that's, that's where we're going to go with this? What was Jesus wearing? You know, I mean, it's like, you, you'll try anything. My sense, too, is that it's especially, and certainly not exclusively, certainly not exclusively, but especially for those of you that grew up in the church, especially for those of you that were baptized as children. Um, I used to feel like, you know, Eric's testimony was like, you know, I would kind of like rank the, like, quality of the baptisms in my mind, you know, and, and I really only truly counted the ones, the testimonies like Eric's, you know, where a person didn't have any faith and didn't have any faith background and uh, came to faith for the first time and they got baptized. I'm like, well, that's real. And I'm like, well, these, you know, people that were, like, baptized as babies and were baptized as kids and they want to get baptized. I'm like, I don't, I don't know if that, I don't know about that. I mean, we'll let them do it, you know. Um, That's not how I feel anymore. But the other thing that uh, God spoke to me about so clearly this morning is just about the way that I've discussed infant baptism in the past. Um, You know, I've just wanted to do this whole, like, um, three-step process of, like, yeah, well, you know, if if it went like this, and if it meant this to you, and, you know, just weighing different factors and, um, you know, all this stuff... And it's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. Like a, a, you, can't, you can't be born into a Christian family. And this is what John the Baptist says. This is exactly what John the Baptist says. He's baptizing people, and they're all the ones that were born into the religious family. And, he's, and, and they're saying, well, we don't need to be baptized. We don't need to be baptized. We, we have Abraham as our father. That's our group. We're part of that group. He says, don't you know that God can raise up stones as children of Abraham? Don't say we have Abraham as our father. Don't you know that the axe is ready to chop at the root and cut you off? You're like, whoa, where'd that last part come from? The Bible. comes from the Bible. And the next thing he says is, Look, if you're scared of me, don't you know that when Jesus comes, he's going to have his winnowing fork in his hand to separate the wheat from the chaff. And the wheat he's going to gather into his barn, and the chaff he's going to throw into unquenchable fire. The rule, the unbreakable rule for the type of Christianity I grew up in. The one rule you are not allowed to break is don't go negative. Don't talk about hell. 
Make this a positive thing. Make it about this invitation to something good. We don't need to talk about that stuff. But if we don't need to talk about it, then why did John the Baptist feel the need to talk about it? Why did Jesus feel the need to talk about it? If there was a way to talk about it without going that direction, don't you think Jesus probably would have found it? If there was a way to get the job done without making this threat of, well, don't you know there's winnowing forks in his hand, he's going to throw the chaff into unquenchable fire. If the message could be conveyed without that part, don't you think that Jesus, love incarnate, love himself, don't you think Jesus would have found a way to convey the message without that? And yet he doesn't. And he doesn't waste words. He's not going to say something unless he has to say it. And again, the type of Christianity I grew up in, we're just so proud of ourselves for not being hellfire and brimstone preachers. We're not hellfire and brimstone preachers. And I was proud of that. And then I looked and saw every single preacher in the Bible was a hellfire and brimstone preacher. Every single preacher that God has used prior to the year 1975 was a hellfire and brimstone preacher. And it's too early to say if he's even used anybody since 1975. You know, who knows? Who knows? So... What is it gonna what is it gonna take to get you to to kick your shoes off, take your socks off? If you want, you can leave them on, I don't care. And fully clothed, get in here and and get dunked in this water. What is that gonna take? My sense is that this excitement about how good it could be is not enough. My sense is that is not enough to get you out of your seat and in that line. My sense is that the only way you're going to do that, the only way you're going to give up your dignity is if you're afraid. If you're truly afraid of missing out. And the ones most likely to miss out are the ones born into religious families. That's the prodigal son. Logan talked about this celebration this party we're going to have, celebrating. Over here, in just a minute. And that's what it is. That's what God invites everybody to, is this party. And Jesus tells this whole story. And the one, the guy that's never done anything wrong is left out in the cold. Everybody else is having the party. And he's out in the cold. Jesus can tell whatever story he wants. If he wants to tell a story where everybody's in the party, he can tell that story, and that's not the story he told. He tells a story where the person who had done everything right, where the person who had been born into the right family, where the person who knew all the Bible verses is left out in the cold, outside the party. So what am I saying and what am I not saying? I'm not saying if you were... Baptized as an infant, it didn't count, and you must be baptized right now in order to be included in the party as a logical kind of like deductive argument. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, if God is speaking to you, and God is calling you, and God is striking fear into your heart, then that is him, and don't let any confidence in your history 
stop you from following that call. Don't depend upon that stuff because it can't save you. It can't save you. And you say, well, I just don't like the whole idea of this. It's not a theoretical discussion. Well, what about everybody else? Let God worry about everybody else. When is self-interest going to kick in? When is self-interest going to kick in? And you see the floodwaters rising, and you see the door of the ark closing. And when are you going to stop having a theoretical discussion about what about all these other people and say, you know, I probably should get on the ark. At some point, it's just about you and him. And so that's what we're going to do now. And it is a party. It is good. It is great. It is wonderful. But for some of us, myself included, the invitation with the balloons on it isn't enough to get us there. So I'm going to pray, and then the band's going to come. And then some of you line up to get prayer. Maybe you ask for some of these experiences you you heard about today. Maybe you say, I want God to knock me down. Maybe you will, maybe you won't, I don't know. Maybe you say, I want to speak in tongues. Maybe so, maybe not, I don't know. But you certainly can ask. You want to receive prayer. You come and receive communion, or you come and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And what John says is, he's like, well, sure, I can baptize you with water, but only Jesus can baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Some of you, if you haven't been able to feel it, if you haven't been able to be filled, maybe it's because your parents' faith and all these theological statements, that doesn't count as giving your life to Jesus. And you have to believe in him before he can baptize you with the Spirit. So that's what we'll do when the, the band plays and sings. I'll stand right down here. The other pastors will stand right here, and we'll, we'll baptize you. And by the way, you know, uh, um, so this, this will have to hit, logically we'll have to hit a wall at some point, but we will just keep doing songs until I feel like everybody's come. Um, so if you think that you can just wait it out, if God's sucking on your heart, um, I want to force you with a choice. Either get in or walk out. Because here's the party. Either get in or you walk out. You choose to walk out. I'm not going to just end the service and let you off the hook. We're just going to sing another song. We'll just sing another song. And we'll sing another song until you, you get in and walk out. And why don't you just get in the water? You know, I heard God saying to me about all these discussions we used to have about infant baptism. Like, do you know how much this hurts in my head? Like, why are you talking about this, this stuff? Just get in the water. Just get in the water like I told you to. So that's what we'll do as we sing. Let's pray first. Father, we've been asking for more of your spirit. We've been asking for more of your spirit in our lives. For more of your spirit in our church, for more of your spirit in this room. We know you're here. We know you're close. We also know that you could be more here and more close if we just ask. So we ask this morning. We want it. We're not just open to your fire falling in this room. We want it. We want your fire to fall. 
We want your fire to fall. We want to be baptized with your spirit. Wash over us. Wash over us. And I ask that you would speak to the hearts of every person in this room as individuals that if my words aren't for them today, you'd give them confidence in discounting my words, knowing they're not for them. But if they, you have spoken through me to them today, that you would drive those words, drive your word into their hearts, that you would cut them to the heart and that you would draw them and hold them close. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.